just saw Delaney. When did you do Delaney? Like we did Delaney's. Ago? I mean, we, me and Savvy recorded that with her probably a month ago. Okay. And then that just came out today. Yeah, I just saw she, she promoted it. I didn't hear it yet. It's it's on now. It's out. Delaney's, yeah. Yeah, yeah okay, Delaney's cool. out. Yeah, because we're, we're trying to um, stack as much as we you can. should. Because Tri's about to hit the road. Yep. And with the baby coming, yeah. it's going to be, yeah, scheduling going to be really the, tough. Yeah, so definitely. we're just trying to pile them up as yeah. many as we can before April. I hear you. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, do that. but yeah, so this is Sandcast. Okay, welcome, cool. Welcome, Holly McPhee. Thanks. Good to be here. I've watched. I've watched a lot. <laughs> I love watched that. Watched and listened. Yeah. yeah. Actually, I'm curious, what um, which do you do with podcasts? Do you watch podcasts more or do you listen to them? No, I listen to them, but... Okay. You know, on Instagram, you see little yeah. blurbs and say, "Oh, I want to, I want to hear what they have to say." So okay. then you go listen. Okay, that's so good to know. That those that, are like, that yeah, works. little okay. teasers that get your attention, and okay. that always works for me. Okay, that's good because I didn't know we've kind of like gone back and forth with the Instagram thing of how much to do. We paid people to do it, but then they kept clipping things that were kind of random. Yeah. So now it's just me and trial. Say, so, oh, you know, that like the minute thirty at the forty minute mark was pretty good. Yeah. So that's good to know. Yeah. It's- <laughs> yeah. There's actually a really cool app called Headliner. Okay. And you can do little snippets yeah. um, that are easy on Instagram that you could do yourself. I used okay. to do that when we had our podcast. So yeah. Very cool. It's a cool one. It's good to know. Yeah. Yeah, and so you you have you're familiar with podcasting. I am. <laughs> I am. We did it for a while. Um, just kind of ran out of time. It wasn't our priority, and yeah. just decided to shift. Yeah. Who did you do that with? Anne Marie Anderson. Okay. She's my broadcast partner for okay. a lot of indoor volleyball for Pac-12 Network yeah. and beach volleyball. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. What was your podcast called? Um, Sports like a boss. Okay. And it was kind of. Uh, we wanted to tell stories um, about the impact that sports have people had on people's lives and lessons they learned and, you know, how they had translated what they learned from sports into their life. Yeah. Um, and there's some really interesting stories, really interesting stories. Yeah. Did you do all sports or did you keep uh, any, it Yeah, it could be anybody. Okay. Um, we had Amy Van Dyken, who had the bad ATV accident. Yeah. We had Susie uh, Favor Hamilton, who was the Olympic runner turned call girl. Um, we had Gabby Reese was one of ours. Um, we had a race car driver. We had Nomar Garcia Para. We had Mia oh, Hayes. So we we had Shaquille O'Neal. Awesome. Um, So we had a lot of fun people. Yeah. Yeah. I think podcasts are, they're so fun because you get to just, it's kind of a win-win for everyone, you know, because the guests you have on can get whatever publicity they think they can get out of it. And you just have a fun conversation. (laughs) You just learn a lot. Yeah. And and learning is always good. And I think that's people who listen to podcasts, they want to learn and they want to continue to learn about new topics and new people. And it's cool to see how many times you've kind of reinvented yourself within the sport of beach volleyball and just volleyball as a whole because you were a standout indoor player and you became a three-time Olympian on the beach and then you became a broadcaster commentator and now you're a coach. You've done a little bit of everything with volley. I have. I've been so lucky. Oh, my gosh. I, I, I mean, I fell in love with the sport of beach volleyball when I was like 10, 11 years old. Um, so I started on the beach, then went indoors, seventh, eighth grade, and went to Maricosta High School. So then indoor became the big focus, right? Okay. Because that's your vehicle to get a scholarship to college. At that point, there was no beach volleyball in college. Right. Uh, but it was still my passion. I love six-person indoor. Love it. Um, but every summer, I looked forward to spending long days on the beach and yeah. Uh, just grinding out on the sand. So um, I've been very fortunate. I've loved the sport. I still do. Uh, and I love to make an impact and help people. Right now, it's like paying it forward, helping young athletes learn lessons. And, um, you know, I don't let my ego get in the way. I've already done everything I want to do in yeah. the sport. So I think that's 
a nice place to come from as a coach. Yeah. You know, because some coaches have a little chip on their shoulder. Maybe they didn't do anything and they feel like they have something to prove. And I, I just don't. I just want to help people. Yeah. That's what I love. When we had uh, Jose Loyola on a, a while ago, he said that when he first started coaching, he had a tough time wrestling with that because he said, you, when you're a coach, you have to kill the player inside of you and let that your player ego die. Yeah. And then you, you can become a coach where you're just in a position to give back rather than sort of living vicariously through True. your players where yeah. you want their success is yours. Yeah. I don't know if I killed myself as a player because I still play every Thursday <laughs> and I love to compete. Um, but yeah, it's a different perspective for sure. It's a it's a healthier perspective. And and obviously the experience that we had as a player and the, like the tricks of the trade and we were under press, uh, stressful situations, right? And we learned a lot and tools that we can pass on to these young athletes. Mm-hmm. So I think... Um, from that perspective, our players' mindset and experience is really beneficial. Yeah. You mentioned uh, that you kind of grew up on the beach first before yeah. indoor. Yeah. Um, and now that's a much more common route where girls, they can get scholarships on the beach that way. But that was a little bit more rare oh, back it was in so, the old school days. It was so rare. When I played in high school, there were a handful. Yeah. One handful of girls <laughs> my age that played. I had to yeah. beg people to come down to the beach. So at that point, I lived near Marine Street, and I would walk two blocks down to the beach, and that was kind of the mecca mm-hmm. of beach volleyball in Manhattan Beach. So all the pros were there: Hovland, Dodd, Frohoff, Akadebi, all yeah. those guys. And then Patty, uh, well, she wasn't Patty Dodd then; she was Patty Orozco and Jackie Silva. They okay. were down there, so all the people would practice down there. So I would go down, and they're like, "Hey, Holly, can you serve me balls? Hey, Holly, can you?" So I kind of felt comfortable, and yeah. and I played with old people. Young people. Some guys just wanted to hit balls. I would set them. Yeah. So um, it was just something I did from a young age, and I was exposed to. I was really lucky. Yeah. I love uh, just learning about that era. Yeah. It's such a cool. Oh, it was the best era. About. <laughs> it was the best. It's not even close. It's the culture surrounding the sport. Yeah. And, and literally, I was there from 9 a.m. to 8 p.m. It's amazing. All day. And it, nobody had cell phones. It was the place to be. You didn't want to be anywhere else. Um, I would show up at like 10, 30, 11 a.m., a little late in terms of, you know, my summer day. And Tim Hovland would go, hey, go get me a Mountain Dew and a Snickers. I'm like, what? Yeah, here's some money. Go get... I'm like, this is a pro athlete and that's what he's eating? Oh, my goodness. Um, but we had fun with it. And uh, to this day, when I'm out there coaching, Tim Hovland rides by on his bike and yeah. gives me a shout out. So I it's love fun. when Hov is riding by on the strand right? and I'm practicing. He's all, he always say something. Yeah, he, he can't help himself. Yeah. And in that, he was one of the best entertainers ever to mm-hmm. watch in the sport. You just couldn't take your eyes off of him. His, his foot speed and his coordination, incredible. Maybe it, not that he was lazy. He had a good work ethic, but obviously the way he took care of himself, I don't think he was lifting weights in the gym. He was a natural athlete. Yeah. Uh, obviously wasn't eating right, as as you can tell by the <laughs> Mountain Dew and the Snickers, but uh he was a lot of fun, and there was just so many great characters. And it was a there was a culture around the sport. Yeah, there was a tournament. You were there. Yeah, everybody <clears throat> wanted to be there. N- not only to watch the great athletes play the sport that we all loved, but also to be seen. Right? It was yeah. it was a huge culture, and it's what I fell in love with. Yeah, and it's it just like talking to you know Sinjin and Randy and Karch and Hob and Dodd and all yeah. those guys. It's it's easy to 
like I get nostalgic for it, and I didn't even live through those days. Yeah. It just sounds so fun. I grew up with all those players, yeah. and actually, the generation before, like Mingus and Gage, those were the earliest teams I remember. Um, and then, obviously, Sinjin and Randy came into the picture, and Karch and uh, and Javi Dodd. But um, it was just the best. Yeah, and we hear a lot about all the the guys' side of it. Yeah, you know, the 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 rivalry between Sinjin and Randy and Javi Dodd. I feel like the the women's side of that era is a little bit more, a little bit less known. Yeah, I think, and yeah. then because the WPVA to me is still like such a mystery of what it was like. I'm curious. Well, I lived it. Yeah, I'm curious <laughs> about what what that was like for uh, a female back in those old school days. So growing up, my role models in the sport of beach volleyball were men. I I, lo- I thought Jim Mingus was amazing. He was so intense. Yeah, crazy competitor. He had these eyes that you're like, wow, <laughs> that guy is intense. But he's who I looked up to, and I loved watching. Um, on the women's side, you didn't hear a lot about. They didn't have the same kind of stage, yeah. the same opportunities um, at that time. And um, th- my earliest memories of players were Kathy Gregory. Okay. Nina Mathies, yeah. they were some of the early players. Um, but then came Linda Robertson-Hanley, um, Patty Dodd, now Patty Dodd, mm-hmm. Jackie Silva. Jackie Silva was kind of the player who came from Brazil um, who just stood up for women's sports and said, hey, we need to be elevated. And she would jump serve. She would hand set. She elevated women playing the sport of beach volleyball. Uh, and at that point, Evian signed a $1 million deal with the WPVA. We had a $1 million oh, wow. contract for one season. Shoot. Yeah. Uh, it was That's amazing. Big money back then, it, too. it was huge money. Yeah. Um, and we had some good support. Um, I, I know Coors Light was involved because we had the Silver Bullet Award, whoever had the most aces, mm-hmm. and they kept track of that. So that was kind of fun. Super cool. Um, it was a great sport. But I, I remember as a young player, when I came out, Players were roughy when they lost. Yeah. And I was, I was young. I was you know, <laughs> 16 probably when I played in my first, uh, it was an open, they called it, uh, and uh, you know, trying to rough and make a call on those women who were very intimidating. Yeah. I was a little scary. So <laughs> it, it's nice that they have, well, the young players have to rough at tournaments. And I see some players like stand up and do a really good job, but it's hard. Yeah. It's really hard as a young player to do that, especially against top pros. Yeah. I mean, even... CBVA. Yeah. It's hard to exactly. do. Exactly. You know, if I'm sitting there ref and a yeah. guy's like, why is that a double? Yeah. Like, it just didn't look yeah. good. I don't know. Yeah, right? <laughs> you know? And then the, and some will hold that against you, but you know, <laughs> yeah. you gotta do the best you can do. Yeah. When did when did it start to become more um professionalized, I guess, for the women? Because the women weren't joined with the AVP till till two thousand when Leonard well, took over? No, no. It happened earlier than that. Okay. It was, so it was very controversial. Okay. Um, in 91 is when I started playing pro beach volleyball. In 1993, um, WPVA had some issues. Okay. I'm still owed money from back then, by the way. <laughs> um, and AVP, who had this huge following, Leonard Armado had built up the AVP. It was in its heyday. Yeah. I believe they had a $1 million bonus pool <laughs> in addition to all the money oh they were making. Gosh. It was insane. Uh, my boyfriend at the time was making at least 500000 a summer by himself without sponsors. Um, so you look back and you're like, wow. Um, but um, in 1993, AVP offered eight players um, a contract to play under the AVP umbrella. 
Okay. And at that point, I'm owed money. I'm like, how great that we can be elevated and play on the AVP stage, but we were only eight athletes. Yeah. And they kept saying, look, we're going to grow. Don't worry. Don't worry. And we're like, okay. Um, But basically, we switched around partners, played a little tournament format every weekend, but we played in front of big crowds. You know, everyone said, don't do it. It's a sideshow. Yeah. Kind of was a sideshow, but at the same time, we were elevated and we got to play in front of all those fans. Right. And I really think it helped put the sport on the map because yeah. we had some big WPVA events and we had about 13 fans. Yeah. And it just wasn't promoted. We never spent money on marketing. Um, obviously, you know, beach volleyball, especially women playing, it's a beautiful sport to watch. Yeah. So once we had eyes on us, um, I feel like the sport really grew. I didn't know that. Yeah, that so 93? that was 93. Okay. 94, it doubled in size in terms of how many players played under that that contract. Okay. And then after that, there was some, you know, some growing pains and... Um, Gosh, I can't remember the years, uh, um, but a lot of the top players went internationally and played FIVB because in 96, it was an Olympic sport. That's right. So we would come back and play what we could, but we couldn't play everything. There was a BVA, a small iteration of just women's uh, beach volleyball, and then not till Leonard uh, decided to put the men and women under one roof, elevate it. Equal prize money, same basic stage and presentation on TV. And that is when the sport took off. Yeah. Wow, what a journey. I had no idea that it was just eight of you guys. Because I was scrolling through your BVB before we came on, and I saw that you won maybe 11 out of 16 in 93 or something. But you did it with a bunch of different partners. Yeah. So you guys just kind of... Yeah. (laughs) But I was a young player, and there were a bunch of established pros um, that were already playing. So I got to play with them. And I I grew a ton as a player, gained confidence, um, and then I just learned that I could compete with them. And so, man, and you were what about twenty? I was at the time? well. I had, I finished in ninety at UCLA, so I was twenty one. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but again, I had had all that experience growing up playing on the beach, so I was yeah. way ahead of a lot of players. A lot of players mm-hmm. at that time played indoor volleyball, and mm-hmm. then would come out and learn beach. And it takes a little while. As yeah. you know, that transition is tough. Um, but I was already ahead of that uh, that curve. Yeah, that's why I think you know, it, it always it makes me laugh a little bit when people talk about Alex and they're like, oh, she never played beach before yeah. and then she won a gold medal. I was like, yeah. well, I mean, she grew up, she went to the same high school. You did, yep. Mira Costa. Yep. She grew up playing beach too. What she did was remarkable. Yeah. But it wasn't like April just plucked someone off the hardwood who'd never played beach before. Yeah, and they had time, especially with that extra year. I think that yeah. extra year was huge for them. Yeah. Um, because when you're trying to be an elite athlete, and obviously Alex Kleinman's special, she's got the size, but she's got the work ethic. She's very smart. Um, you know, two to three years is about what it takes to be elite. Yeah. Um, you know, starting from almost nothing. Mm-hmm. And that's why I think Taylor Sander, similar thing, because he grew yeah. up playing beach and now, and he was rookie of the year, won, I think, three AVPs. Yeah. And I don't think people understand how hard it is yeah. to switch from indoor to beach. Very. It's It's a completely different sport. Very. But he had that base. Yeah. He had that base. Obviously, he's a freak athlete, you know, and and I think that helps. Uh, And then uh, playing with April Ross is, you know, she's one of the best players in the world. She's been there, been under that kind of pressure. That helps, too. That really helps facilitate the learning. Yeah. And you were obviously a phenomenal indoor player as well. You won a couple state championships at Miracosta, and then you won a handful of national titles in college. 
one. One. Well, just, I was a coach the for the UCLA. second one. Okay. I was a coach for the second one. But um, yeah, some of my best memories were winning. Well, one of my best memories was winning that uh, title at UCLA in 1990. Yeah. I mean, to this day, I'm on a group text with my UCLA team. I love that. And that was just a few years ago. Who uh, <laughs> Who was some... Who are some of the players on your team? So Natalie Williams was my opposite. Okay. Um, she was a big lefty. Um, my two outside hitters were Samantha Shaver and Jenny Evans. Okay. Uh, great passers, um, a little bit undersized, but good arms. I mean, extremely good ball control. And one of my best friends, Marissa Hatchett, was one of my middles. And then we had two other middles that went back and forth, Irene Renteria out of Las Vegas and Lisa Hudak from the Midwest. Yeah. Um, and then we didn't have Libros those days, uh, but we were just solid. Yeah. And the setter who started at UCLA the year before I got there, she was our backup. And so if I got injured or anything happened, or even running the B-side, she was amazing. Her name was Jennifer Groteau. And so there was no drop-off. Yeah. And and interesting, uh, the Van Winkle's mom. Okay. Who play at UCLA, mm-hmm. Lori Jones, she was on our team as well. Okay. And she was, she would have been all American at any other school. Great all around player. And she was making us better every day. Yeah. So, and again, somebody who could plug into the lineup at any time. Yeah. Do you wish that you would have gone to UCLA your whole career? Or do you think that I do. Cal years? You know, looking back, I do. But uh, the interesting thing is I committed to UCLA. Really? Um, and a bunch of people called me and said, Andy will never play a short setter. So the day after I committed, he committed another setter who was six one from Chicago. Okay. I'm like, Andy, why are you committing her? You just committed me. Right. He's like, well, we just need some depth. You need to be pushed. And I was like, gosh, are these people right about me? You know, that yeah. he'll never. I just wanted a fair shot. Yeah. And if I wasn't going to get it, I would have been really mad. So I pivoted. I took a different challenge uh, to go to Berkeley mm-hmm. and help build that program. Um, there are a lot of good things moving in the direction to build it. Um, and then the woman who recruited me left my sophomore year Yeah, and everything went downhill when they hired a lousy coach. Yeah. Cause you yeah. were still so good when you were setting there. Yeah. But you guys didn't see eye to eye. Uh, no, we didn't. <laughs> I wanted to win. I wanted to work hard and he was completely unprofessional. Uh, it was disappointing because I really fell in love with Berkeley. Yeah. Um, first year, a little bit of culture shock coming from the beach. Yeah. Um, fantastic educational institution. I was away from home. I think getting away from home is one of the best things I ever did. Mm-hmm. So regardless, I'm glad that I moved to Northern California for yeah. those three years. I learned so much about myself. Um, I learned that I could survive anywhere, <laughs> yeah. which is powerful. It's, That's a powerful uh, skill. And, you know, I just was way more confident, but I actually talked to the Cal athletic department and they said, look, you can stay here. You don't have to play volleyball. You can keep your scholarship. I'm like, I have another year. I am out of here. Not throwing that away. Yeah. But back then there was no portal. There was a rule. If you transferred within conference, you lost your, yeah. So there was a lot of binding things that I was worried about. So I went to the PAC 12 And I said, look, here's my situation. And I had a laundry list of things on my side so I could petition for immediate eligibility. All summer long, they sat on it. Um, And then day two of UCLA. uh, So I gave everything up, moved home, and I walked on at UCLA. Oh, you walked on? I walked on. I had no scholarship. 
Day one, they said, okay, you're clear. You can play for UCLA. Yeah. Day two, I got a full ride. Yeah. <laughs> so it was amazing. Yeah. But it, but things just happened perfectly because some middle blocker who was 6'5", quit on day two. Oh, and really? that's how I got a scholarship. Got scholarship. So, you know, it just <laughs> unfolded perfectly. I, I'm a firm believer in things happen for a reason. Yeah. Um, so I was meant to go to Cal, meant to learn those lessons, mm-hmm. meant to suffer a little bit, um, and then had the best season of my life indoors at UCLA. Yeah. that's. I love looking back at you know, everyone's path in retrospect and just seeing how everything works out perfectly. It does. To end up where you are now. It does. And there's, I mean, in my journey, there's a lot of pain mm-hmm. um, and, you know, some dips in the road, challenges, obstacles, actually a lot of them. Um, but to this day, I wouldn't change anything. I mean, yeah. I learned so much, feel like I can survive anything. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you talk about grit and perseverance. Those are skills that you're not taught. Mm-hmm. <laughs> People can't say, here's grit. You right. can't do that. You earn it. You earn it by being in tough situations. And, you know, as a parent, it's hard. You want to protect your kid. I'd love to bubble wrap my son and protect him from yeah. any pain. But at the same time, he needs to be uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. He needs to learn the tough lessons. And so do these young athletes. It's it's really important. Yeah, I love that. And I love that you are a coach as well, that you can, because obviously you have your impact on your kids. You have three sons? Well, I have two stepsons two okay. who I raised, okay. who are now 35 and 33, okay. and my son's 12. Okay. So, yeah, no, I, I mean, it's funny because my old, one, one of my older stepsons always says, can't you, can't you make him gritty? You're grit, you're grittier than anybody I know. And I'm like, well, it doesn't really happen like that. Right. You know, they have to be uncomfortable and, and learn and grow. Yeah. So we're going to take a quick break from the show. Not just any break. This is the Waiakea water break. Now, Waiakea has been keeping us hydrated all year long, not just with any ordinary water. This is Hawaiian volcanic water. In all those bottles you saw, what's really cool is that they're made up of 100% post-consumer recycled ocean-bound plastic. So what that means is that each bottle helps remove the equivalent of five bottles from ocean-bound beaches, waterways, and cities. So they're not just keeping us hydrated. They're helping out the environment, too. And try. that's not the only cool thing they're doing. That's right. They're giving back to those in Hawaii through the Kokua Initiative, which supports the local food banks and the nonprofits out there. Another really cool thing is that they make coffee. I'm a big coffee fan, so I'm excited to drink this product. And for every pound of coffee purchased, Waikia donates a book to a child through its literacy program. So use promo code SANCAST online at waikia.com to receive 20% off your order. You can also pick some up at 7-Eleven. Live healthy, live sustainably, live ethically, live aloha at waiakea.com. Thank you guys, the listeners, for giving support to the sponsors, which then allows us to continue supporting us. It's a virtuous cycle. We love it. We love that you're listening. We love that the sponsors are on board. And we love that Wilson Volleyball has been with us since day one. Almost five years now, Wilson has been working with the boys, and we love those guys. We love the volleyballs they make, the ball carts they make. We love the apparel that they make. I saw Troy Field playing golf with the golf clubs that they make. We love Wilson. Love everything they got, love everything they put out there, and as do you. And to get a 20% discount of all Wilson materials, just the volleyball stuff, get use the discount code SANDCAST-20. 
All right, that's Sandcast-20 to get 20% off all Wilson materials. I mean, I'd say that off-season's coming up, but there's really no off-season. But at this point in the year, you probably need to restock up on volleyballs. I know I have. I just put in an order for 15 more. It's about time for you to do the same. So use the discount code Sandcast-20 to restock on all Wilson volleyballs, the best beach volleyball in the game. This podcast is also brought to you by Athletic Greens. And guess what? Try and I just signed on another year-long contract with Athletic Greens, keeping the partnership going because it is one of the best partnerships we could have for this podcast. If you guys aren't on Athletic Greens yet, if you're not taking those scoops of those green veggies, I cannot recommend it enough. I haven't been sick in two years because of Athletic Greens, and we bring it on the road. They have these awesome little travel packs that they bring. you can bring on the road with you. I bring them everywhere. I haven't missed a day in the last year and a half or so pretty much ever since me and try started working with them it's basically a multivitamin the the best multivitamin on the block it's cheap it's less than three dollars a day which it might sound expensive but if you're investing in your health it's cheaper than your cold brew coffee habit it's cheaper than the lattes and it's way better for you all right, it's it's the the best all-in-one nutritional insurance you can get. I mean, Joe Rogan, he has it. Tim Ferriss is promoting it. Michael Gervais promoting it. Andrew Huberman's promoting it. All the big dogs are. We're just the little dogs here at Sandcast, and we're promoting it, and we stand by it. Me and Try, we've been healthy all season long despite playing two huge schedules this year, and Try's got another couple big ones coming up with Olympic qualifying. And the best way we're fueling ourselves, Athletic Green. And you can fuel yourself the same way by using our code athleticgreens.com slash sandcast. All right, that's where you get our partner deal. You will get five free packs and a year's supply of their vitamin D. That is a year's supply of vitamin D. Now, we're on the beach. We get a lot of it anyway, but you can always use more. It's so good for your immune system. It's so good for your overall health. So that is athleticgreens.com slash sandcast. That's where you will find our partner deal. So I cannot encourage you enough to pick up some athletic greens today. If you love the podcast and want to show how much you love the podcast, then get some Sandcast merchandise. We've got t-shirts, we've got tank tops, we've got coffee mugs, hats, long sleeves, sweatshirts, backpacks, you name it. If you go to sandcastmerch.com, you can find virtually anything you want. And if there's nothing in our store that you don't that you want, you can just send us an email and we'll make it for you. That's how easy it is. So if you want to rock your the merch of your favorite podcast today, tomorrow, whenever you want to get it, go to sandcastmerch.com and start rocking some Sandcast apparel. Looking for a book to read? Well, I know the absolute perfect one. If you're listening to this podcast, that means you are obviously a volleyball fan of some sort, be it indoors or beach volleyball. And that means that you have probably heard of a guy named Ken Steffes. And if you haven't, well, you can flip open our book, Kings of Summer. You can find it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, anywhere books are sold. You can find our book, Kings of Summer, The Rise of Beach Volleyball. Now, Ken, he didn't do interviews for like 20 years after his retirement when he was 30. He's the most dominant beach volleyball player of all time. He won more than half the tournaments he played. He won the 1996 Olympic gold medal with Karch Karai, and we wrote all about it. We had the first 
inside look of the rise of beach volleyball from the first professional tournament in 1976 up until those 1996 Atlanta Games, the first that beach volleyball was in the Olympics. I had an absolute blast working on this book with Kent, and Kent had a blast writing on it. He's been writing a ton on Facebook. He is back in the beach volleyball game, and the best, I mean, it's honestly... You know, it's the work that I'm probably more proud of than anything that I've done because it, it had interviews from all the greats. It had Sinjin Smith, it had Karch Karai, it's got Randy, Dodd, Hovland, and then Kent's there the whole time, his voice going in and out and writing it with me. And if you're a fan of old school beach volleyball, if you're a fan of beach volleyball at all, if you're a fan of volleyball or the Olympics or just stories of greatness, that is the one for you. So go ahead, go to Amazon and pick up a copy of Kings of Summer today. I think we need more of that. Yeah, we do. We do. Uh, And I think as parents, we just want to make it easier for our kids, Mm -hmm. but not always doing ourselves favors. In fact, Carrie Papinga, I'm not sure if you're familiar with that name. I am. She, because when I was doing a story on Carly Khan, I wanted to go back and see if she was the first woman from Hawaii to win an AVP, which she is. But that's where Carrie Papinga's name popped up frequently. Okay. Because she, before Carly, she was the most successful Hawaiian. Yes. So um, Carrie Papinga was Carrie Trishman, and she played at Maricosta my same year. Okay. Um, And now she owns a company called Mind Growth Lab. Okay. And uh, you can follow them on Instagram. They do some really good stuff about mental training, dealing with stress, giving the athletes the tools that they need. And also for parents to back off, let your kids figure it out. I hear from so many parents, oh, yeah, I said yes to that person's mom. So Susie Q and Linda are playing next week. Like, why are you dealing with the partnership stuff? Seriously. (laughs) I mean, these young athletes need to advocate for themselves um, or nothing's going to happen. They're mm-hmm. going to be stuck and wonder what happened um, because mommy wasn't around to set them up with a partner. Right. And that's one of the hardest skills in beach volleyball is finding a good partner. Yeah. So you have to be able to advocate for yourself. Yeah. That's why I'm so grateful for my dad because whenever we would have a problem with a coach, for example, or if you know we thought we should be playing at the end of the fourth quarter yeah. or what have you, I'd say, Dad, like, can you talk to him? He said, no. I, I will drive that. you yep. to his office. Yep. And I'll sit in the car and wait. Yeah. But you need to have the conversation yourself. And it just made us so, like, we hated doing it. Yeah. It was so uncomfortable. It's very uncomfortable. But when you, the more, un, what I've noticed is that the more uncomfortable the conversation, the more you need to have it. Absolutely. And when you have it, you come away and you're like, gosh, I'm glad I did that. Yeah. Oh, it's, <laughs> my parents never stood up for me yeah. with any coach. And for the most part, I was such a hardworking kid. I did whatever the coach said. So there were never any issues. I mean, I'm not saying never, but there were, very few opportunities where I'd need my parent to step in. Um, but I thought that was great. It was, you know, they say, Hey, great job. You know, you're on your own. Um, and it was, it was powerful. Yeah. How were your, what were some of the more influential coaches you had? Cause on the beach, it was just pretty rogue. You just went out and played, but indoor, I feel like you probably, well, good so mentors. I would have to say my two favorite coaches indoor were Daly Aldrich at Maricosta. And one of the reasons why is because I came and it was like this disciplined, structured program with high expectations. We're the top in the state and top in the country. Mm -hmm. And I remember the first day of practice, we were all doing sprints, varsity, JV, freshmen, everyone together. Girls were throwing up in the trash can. I was like, oh, I'm like, I'm not throwing up. Uh, But I was terrified. You know, you just did not want to let her down. Everybody was all out. There was like no let up. You couldn't be a minute late. You couldn't miss a game. You couldn't miss a practice. They didn't care if you were sick. So I actually 
learn to thrive in that environment. Um, And so I appreciate her for the lessons that she taught and just the, the structured environment because I learned early on that that was what I thrived in. Yeah. Um, and then in college, UCLA, Andy Bonikowski was the same way. Um, it was fantastic to finally end on that beautiful note where all the players bought in and all of them did the hard work and we all worked to make one another better. It wasn't competition within ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, it was a powerful lesson. And I'm so glad I got that opportunity. Yeah. Did you, what was the overseas indoor route look like so, back then? You know, I to be honest with you, it was always like, oh, if you're not a tall setter, you can just forget it okay. at the national team. Yeah. And I wasn't, I mean, I loved it, but I was more drawn to the beach because that was okay. my passion. Yeah. And nobody could set limitations on me because I was five, six and three quarters. Right. I love that about beach. It did not matter. I don't care if I'm facing the best indoor player in the world on the other side of the net on the beach, they're going down. Yeah. And that's how I felt. I was just so confident and I was just a little gritty beach kid Mm -hmm. and I was fearless and people didn't want to play me, um, which was fun. Yeah. That's a good feeling when you stand across the net and you don't want to play you. Yeah. And I was, I was kind of shy. I was quiet, but I just let my, in my play do the talking. Yeah. It was that, uh, nature or nurture your competitive fire. Do you get that from your parents? I, I must have, okay. um, because we competed in everything we did. Ping okay. pong. Uh, I mean, and I have a twin brother, so we played sports together. I was always playing with the boys, okay. you know, pickle, football, you know, whatever yeah. it was, um, and a younger sister. So um, just super competitive, but definitely got that from my family. Yeah. Now, yeah. did you, as a woman coming out of college, you graduated UCLA in ninety. 90- 91. One? Yeah. Okay. What was the, did you, did you know you could make a living playing professional beach volleyball or did you kind of have to do a couple side hustles? To be honest with you, when coming? I never thought I was going to make a living playing really? beach volleyball. I loved it. I was going to yeah. play on the side, you know, something, I loved it. So I was going to play. Um, I originally wanted to go to law school. Okay. Um, so I got a degree in English because I was told that would help me um, because you want to be obviously able to speak and write documents and all that. So um, I always kind of had that on the back back burner. So Mm -hmm. when I was finishing school, I was a grad student, um, not a grad student. I was a grad assistant on the indoor coach in 91 on the indoor team. Sorry. Um, That's when I started to think, oh yeah, maybe I'll, you know, maybe I'll be able to do this. Um, But by 93, it in four, it turned into a full-time gig and I was making great money and I had sponsors. And then it just... 20 years later, I'm like, whoa, what just happened? (laughs) So, I mean, I just got so busy that I never looked back. And I was, I just thought I was so blessed to have that opportunity to, one, to travel the world. I had never traveled the world. Two, to play beach volleyball for a living. And one of the coolest things about beach volleyball, back then you talked about it being rogue, there was no anybody supporting you in terms of USA volleyball or anything. (laughs) You bought some balls and went down on the beach Mm -hmm. to practice and showed up at the tournament. There was nothing. So I, my, what would you call it? Value proposition was that I'm going to outwork anybody. Yeah. I'm definitely not as physically blessed and talented as them, but I will work outwork anybody. And that was what I did. And that's how I got where I, I got because it to this day, you know, a lot of better athletes out there, but I wanted it more and I worked harder. And I think that that's still, I think almost being too talented or too big or too whatever can almost be a curse because you, yeah. it cripples you and that you never had to work that hard I agree. until you get to the highest level. Yeah. 
And then you need to you need to figure out how to work hard. But yeah, then it might but be too it's late. too late. Yeah, <laughs> right. but, but I had to do that my entire life. I yeah. was undersized indoor. Um, I always had to work hard, and yeah. you know that was just <laughs> what I did. So when I had the opportunity and saw what was ahead of me and saw the goals, I would watch the top players. I'm like, okay, hmm, what are they doing that I can do as well or better than them? And then, you know, where can I pass them up? And, and that, I, I studied the game. A lot of girls lose at a tournament and just leave. Yeah. I'm like, why aren't you watching the girls that are winning? Because right. they're doing something you're not. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I'm not going to tell them how to win because I'm <laughs> out there trying to win too. <laughs> yeah. um, but, you know, it was just kind of, I learned along the way. Yeah. You're firing me up, Polly. Okay, good. <laughs> Let's go. I love it. I love it. <laughs> when, uh, when the Olympics became... A beach sport yeah. in 96. So it yeah. was ratified in, I think, 92, I, 94. I think 94. Um, did you look at that as, heck yeah, like, let's go. Oh, I, I was just entering the, you know, beginning of my rise to the top. I was yeah. like, game on, let's yeah. go. Um, you know, I had won a bunch with Cami Chiarelli, who I loved. Mm-hmm. Uh, but one of my biggest competitors was Nancy Reno out of Stanford. She was yeah. this physical athlete, completely different personality-wise than me. Um, But once we started playing together in 95, it was like we were the best team in the world immediately. We dominated. Um, Again, we're very different, (laughs) and sometimes that wasn't good, but on the court it was magic. Uh, We were phenomenal together and qualified immediately for that. So the the process you guys, did you go through the FIVB route? Yeah, the two-year, same thing. Okay. Two-year Olympic qualifying process. Because did the did the women have a trials too? Because I've only seen the men's um, trials. In '96 they did, okay. but only for the third spot. Okay. Top two teams went through the FIVB tour. Okay, and then yeah. the men's had two yeah. through the trials, and it was a debacle. Yeah. It was on both sides. <laughs> I think Randy Stokeless sprained his ankle, or somebody did on the men's oh, side. But um, that video is er- heartbreaking. Yes, I know. But everybody got together. Teams that. Probably didn't have the best chemistry, tried to qualify. Yeah. It just didn't work. Yeah. It didn't work. Was the work. women's trials, was that in Baltimore yeah. too? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. What a, it's such, I loved talking with Kent and all those guys about it. Yeah. Because everyone, I mean, like, they still have strong opinions. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes. About that process. Yeah. Well, that's kind of when, because it became an Olympic sport, the, the, organization USA Volleyball got involved and they hadn't been around our sport. Right. They didn't know anything about what we did. So for them to get involved and run those trials, it was it was strange at that time. Yeah. And they're then, much more involved now, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. But you mentioned that you know you hadn't really traveled the world. Here you are, volleyball's taking you around the world. Yeah. What was the world tour like back then? It was incredible. I mean it was hard. We're yeah. in a different country all the time. Um, made some of my best friends from mm-hmm. Brazil on that tour, um, learned a new language. I became fluent in Portuguese, which ah, was, fall. yeah, você fala português? Um pouquinho. Mas hoje eu posso falar ainda, which means I can still speak. Yeah. <laughs> but um, it, it's it's pretty cool. I just, I never get a chance to speak anymore. Um, but Sheldon, Andre, Ana Bayar were the best team in the world mm-hmm. from Brazil, and we spent a lot of time together on the road, learning about each other's cultures. Yeah, um, and they're just dear friends, and we had a great time uh, traveling the world together and battling each other as well. Yeah. I've heard that Brazil. I mean, Brazil is still a great place to play today, but back then, I heard it was just bonkers. It was crazy. Yeah. I remember they used to pay you in cash. <laughs> I remember. I don't. <laughs> 
feel like it was about $8,000 in cash. And it was in my backpack and we were in this little minivan and they were trying to transport us back to the hotel and people were like rocking our car and stuff. I'm like, oh my gosh. Um, It was a little crazy. But um, I I would also in 90, I think 93 and 94, I I went down to Brazil for two different training trips because I love training down there in the heat. Mm -hmm. Uh, I love the way they train. They always have like four people hitting balls at you from Mm -hmm. every direction. So you just get a really good workout and can it can facilitate a, a fantastic training session. Yeah, and they still run workouts yeah. like that. You get three yeah. coaches. That's why I love practicing with, well, when Try and Trevor were together, and I'd go out there because they'd have three Brazilians there. Exactly. And you just pass one here, pass one there, pass one there, set yeah. to set, and then someone else is on. Yeah, like, you don't even have to think, three seconds. right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, you don't have to think. The only thing that I worry about sometimes is you have quantity, but do you have the quality and right. the focus on those? So obviously that's up to the player to bring yeah. that focus I and think mindful. it's the perfect preseason yeah just to get touches 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 yeah. for like a month and a half yeah. and then you can start kind of slowing down and now you've got your touch back and yeah that's what i like to do it anyway yeah and then dissect do. your game mm-hmm. with your partner yeah, yeah i agree yeah it's fun but at uh the olympics in 96 looked awesome all the film from it yeah <laughs> you, <laughs> i have mixed feelings okay. about 96 because uh in january of 96 nancy reno was practicing her jump serve, just practicing on her own, and she tore her rotator cuff six months before the Olympics. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. So we're the best team in the world. Yeah. She gets hurt. We don't even get to practice the entire time before the Atlanta Olympics. So I was training with other people. Yeah. Uh, She was getting shots and stuff to try and... But you're never the same. You lose your rhythm as a team. You don't have that edge. We were... Nobody had beat us. We, yeah. were, we were unbeatable. Um, so yeah, I was just trying to survive that tournament. I, yeah. I, it was hard. I, I, you know, I still dreamed like, oh, this is going to be that miracle story that you right. read about. You're going to come together, her shoulders taped on, but we're still going to win. Um, but it wasn't like that. Our chemistry, everything was off because of the stress, I mean, right? Six months is a long time. Six months. And she kept, she was worried that I was going to dump her for a replacement. But I never even asked for a replacement. I just said, look, she earned that spot with me. Yeah. If she can be good enough to compete, let's go. Yeah. Um, but it was never the same. And the day after Atlanta ended for me, I picked up a really good friend of mine, Lisa Arce, who's now Lisa mm-hmm. Zimmerman. And we started playing and we won the next, I don't know, four or five tournaments. Um and just kind of picked up new goals, moved on, right? Yeah. I mean, there's not you can't change the past. It was a missed opportunity. Uh, I was heartbroken, but nothing I could do about it. Yeah. That's the thing with a lot of Olympics is because there's such it's such a long grind of a process yeah. where it's pretty rare that someone goes into that into an Olympics fully healthy. Yeah. Because I think a lot of people don't realize that Phil Dahlhauser, very similar to Nancy coming into London, yeah. where he had a blood clot in, I think, his arm, and he yeah. had to miss like three or four months where yeah. he couldn't even run. Yeah. The doctor was like, if you hit your head the wrong way, I mean, you could die. So I was like, all right, well, I'll take a break. (laughs) And then they came into London just like on fumes. Amazing. Yeah. But people don't really know that story. I didn't know that story about Nancy. Yeah. And so it's it's a tough one. Yeah. It's a tough one. And we got beat and we got fifth place. And like I said, disappointing, moving on. Next day, literally, I left it behind me and just moved on. Yeah. Yeah. And then you picked up, kept winning. Yeah. I picked up, kept winning. Um, and then actually Nancy Reno and I think 99, 
asked me to play again, said, let's do it. Let's make up for it. Her shoulders fixed, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, oh, I was kind of on the fence, um, but didn't really have any other options that I was wild about. And um, we tried and then she dumped me <laughs> in the <laughs> middle of the Olympic qualifying process. Oh. Um, and so... I basically lost that first year of the Olympic qualifying. I yeah. didn't have a steady partner. So I'm like, what can I do to get back in the race? And I brainstormed and I thought, gosh, this is just a stab in the dark. But this, there's a young player at Long Beach State and her name's Misty May. Yeah. And I heard she's good. I don't know her. Yeah. Reached out to her. I said, hey, can we go have dinner? And we had dinner. I told her kind of about the situation. I don't think she understood quite what I was talking about. And she's like, yeah, I'm going to go to the national team. And I'm like, okay, well, if not, you and I can make a run for this Olympics. Yeah. But you need to be on board. So like a month later, she said, yeah, I'm not going to go with the national team. Let's do this. I was like, yes. <laughs> um, but again, we're a year behind. Yeah. Elaine Youngs and Liz Maskine are way ahead of us. Jenny jo- Johnson-Jordan and Annette Davis, way ahead of us. I yeah. mean, we had zero. Yeah. And they had a whole year of finishes. <clears throat> so um, we went to work. And it wasn't easy. But yeah. we qualified in one year as, this, as the... That's I, I, awesome. I don't know if we ended up first or second, but we did in the last tournament. But here's the deal. Along that way, I'll never forget, it was in Berlin, Misty tore her ab. Oh. Yes. And so we actually ended up winning that tournament. I don't know how. Um, And she just kept getting... We had like four more tournaments to go after that, and she just kept getting a little bit more injured because it just opens up. just compounding. By the last tournament in China that we were... We had to do well to qualify. She was serving underhand and running to the net. To block <laughs> on big court, yeah, and I and I was playing defense behind that. We'd run a tiny little bump set to her, and she'd just poke it around, and <laughs> we, we were winning That's like that. Amazing. But the semifinal to get to the final, we had to win this game to get to the Olympics, and I think I feel like we were down something big, like 13 9 or something. It was Whew. back in the day we played till 15, yeah, um, and came back and won, and it was the biggest. I don't know, proudest moment of my career because of what we were able to do like that. Yeah. I mean, what she was able to do, I, I, she was miraculous. I yeah. mean, Misty May Trainer is, I, I just can't even say enough about her. And I still get to play with her every week. I love that. Thursdays we play fours together and she is still a baller. Uh, titanium knee and all. I would take her <laughs> as a partner to, to the Olympics any day. She's where, where amazing. Where do you guys play? I had to come down and watch one of these. 33rd the, in Hermosa. Oh, 33rd? Yeah. Oh, right Thursday on. mornings. I'll have to pop by. I'll yeah. have to move my practices to 35th by Mesco's court. Yeah, and you can put your binoculars. <laughs> yeah. She is amazing. And But that, that feat was like... It was incredible. I'll yeah. never forget Just it. Duct taping her ab together. Pretty much. I mean, and then, okay, so then we qualify. Yeah. Then what happens? We have six weeks till the Olympics. Right. She can barely move. She's in pain, obviously. So I find the sports hernia specialist, uh, a guy named Alec McKechnie in Canada. And I go, Misty, it's our only shot. Do you want to go? She's like, let's go. Yeah. So I, and <clears throat> I go with her. Because I'm like, if I'm going to help facilitate this, we're going to be traveling together. Um, so I show up at the airport. I'm waiting for her. Five minutes. Misty, where are you? Uh, I'm, I'm running a little late. I'm like, Misty, <laughs> the door's closing in five minutes. I was livid. I'm like, 
First of all, I'm taking my time away from my family right. to take you to Canada. She tells this story in her book. Um, <laughs> we ended up catching the next flight, and we did like three days of work with him. But she had uh, five weeks of training to get the ab in the strength around that torn ab. Yeah. Um, so that meant no time in the sand going into Sydney. Again. Again. We're getting flashbacks. I'm like, are, I'm like, are you kidding me? Is this really <laughs> happening? And again, and then Misty was worried I'm going to dump her. I'm like, Misty. We just, what we did, uh, there's no way I'm going to dump you. Um, And so we just kind of tried to piece things back together. And uh, we started practicing once we got to Sydney, but we just never got that rhythm back. It just wasn't the same. Gosh, that's tough leading up to two Olympics. Eight years of my life. Eight years. And um, again, we did the best we could, but it was heartbreaking. But so the next day... Um, we, we talk and we're like, well, let's go to Brazil. It's, it was a week later and it was a test event on the small courts against all the best teams in the world. We go and we win (laughs) a week later. I'm like, huh, if it was just a week, you know, it's just the timing. So, uh, and then after that, she dumped me for this tall, skinny person that played at Stanford and it was never heard of the story. Yeah. (laughs) So, um, again, Great year, great accomplishments, heartbroken at the Olympics, and I lose my partner. <laughs> so I got to start over again. So a lot of starting over again, lots of, um, you know, get knocked down, get back up. Yeah. A lot of people would be discouraged enough to not go for another quad. Yeah. Why did you keep going for it? Because that is tough to to reset after that quad. Be like, well, it's a lot of work to get to the Olympics. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, and it was just tough luck. And we had no timing. funding. We were doing it all ourselves. Yeah. You know, um, it was... Um, I, I wasn't necessarily going for the quad, going for the Olympics, right. but I wanted to be the best I could be. So mm-hmm. that in my mind, that meant winning tournaments, which in turn meant to being one of the best teams for the U.S. to get me to the, the Olympic Games again. Yeah. Um, and I was able, finally, in 2004, uh, with Elaine Youngs, we were both able to stay healthy. Mm-hmm. Um, we were probably the second best team in the world, maybe third. Uh, and Carrie Walsh and Misty May had become the team. Yeah. Um, so, but, you know, to this day on the beach, I would say, you know, aside from Misty and I qualifying that one year, um, being on the podium in 2004 was incredible because of all that heartbreak, mm-hmm. right? To finally get there. I'm like, are you kidding me? I need to get up there. Um, so that was pretty incredible. Although it seemed like it was about 30 seconds long. <laughs> it was just a blur. <laughs> yeah. It was a blur. So, uh, great memories though. Yeah. yeah. It must've been, and cause I read this study on Olympic medalists yeah. and the ones that are the happiest are gold and bronze okay. and because silver, you end on a loss oh, and you were so close. Yeah. And so, and bronze, you end on a win. Yeah. Where fourth is just so devastating. Good point. You end on oh yeah. Losses. No fourth. Yeah. Cause bronze, when you, even when you look at pictures on yeah. the podiums, a lot of times you'll see the bronze medalists. Yeah. They look like they won gold yeah. and the silver medalist. It's kind of yeah. that Michaela Maroney yeah. moment where yes. she's like, oh, yeah, look, silver. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. But you were close. Yeah. And that's, yeah, that's the thing. Yeah. Um, but especially after eight years, as you mentioned. Which turned out to be 12. It took 12 yeah. to get up there on that yeah. podium. It must have been a very cool moment, even though, as you mentioned, <laughs> it was. felt about 30 seconds. Yeah. It must have been very cool to just have the culmination of it. You got your Olympic medal. It's pretty cool. Even though that wasn't necessarily the goal. Yeah, it wasn't, but I, I'm still super proud. And and you know what? I I never gave up. Even when my partner Dorinja, I'm like, you know what? I'm going to grind. I'm going to do what I can. Hopefully I can help my teammate regardless of whether they're injured and 
do the best we can. Yeah. I mean, that's all I, I could do, right? Mm-hmm. Can only control what you can. It's very cool that you won that when it moved to short court as well, because yeah. a lot of people when oh, it yeah. became short court, they said, "All right, well, the short the yeah, the short players, players are out, them. right?" Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. I felt like they were trying to push me out for a long time, and I was like, <laughs> "Let me in there." No, it was funny because after the first Olympics in '96, um, I was we were the best team in the world, and after I, we would get emails, and it was like USA Volleyball, who was at that point out of the loop for beach. It's like, "Oh yeah, we're trying to get the new young players in," and I'm like, "I'm going to be here for a long time." Yeah. Uh, so get used to that. Yeah. So it was kind of funny. I have a good chip on my shoulder. <laughs> yeah, I love that. <laughs> but it's fun. That's part of the reason that I'm sure that you were so good at every level. A chip can be useful. I agree. It's motivation. <laughs> yeah, it, is. it really is. And, and the, again, when I first started playing beach volleyball, nobody, nobody thought I could win a beach volleyball tournament, yeah. a pro beach volleyball tournament at that mm-hmm. level, not a soul on the planet. Except for me. Yeah. So that's all that matters. I love seeing what people are motivated by. Some people, they get fired up on that where they don't think anybody can win. And some people get really fired up by progress. A lot of times it's somewhere in the middle as well. But Yeah. I I mean, I use it as motivation. I don't really care what they say. Right. Um, I don't know where I got my confidence early on, but I I, I said I was shy and everything. But when I stepped on a court or a field, it was game on. I felt confident out there. I believed in myself and... That's all that matters. Yeah. It reminds me a lot of um, Sarah Sponsel. Yeah. Actually, you see her off the court and she's pretty quiet, goofy, super happy. She's on the court and she is a terminator. I love her. She's just such a killer. Yeah. I love watching Sarah. Yeah. It's fun. It's fun as a broadcaster to watch these athletes develop and grow over the years. And um, I'm fortunate enough to see them in high school and then move through into the college and then obviously at the pro level. And I, I love it. I, yeah. there's, I have players that I love watching and players that I'm like, gosh, I could really help her with that. Or <laughs> It's funny, Misty and I have talk about it a lot. We discuss kind of some of the top teams and what they could be doing better. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, it's fun. Yeah. Do pro teams ever reach out? Um, I've trained a lot of the college players who are now pro. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't have the time to do that. Okay. And it, it just wouldn't be fair to them and wouldn't be fair to anybody. So, yeah. Um, yeah. But um, I, there are a couple of pro teams I'm going to watch and kind of give them some feedback just as, as an extra eye. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Our, shoo, our women's side. The American women are so Loaded. good. Holy it's cow. so fun. But because of the explosion of women's beach volleyball yeah. at the collegiate level, I mean, it is a feeding system like no other. Yeah. There's one thing missing right now. Do you know what that is? I don't know. The pro level. Height? No, the pro time? level. Oh, the pro level. We, oh. need, we need a platform <laughs> yeah. where these athletes who are the best in the world yeah. can make a living and <clears throat> can have the platform and be seen on TV. Yeah. That's what we need. Uh, they sponsors. I, I, I can't think of a better women's sport. I love women's tennis. Cannot think of a better women's sport than beach volleyball. Yeah. I love women's indoor too. So I'm, I'm not comparing them, but I right. just think you're outside. It's a great atmosphere. Um, I, I love men's beach volleyball too. Sorry. Yeah. I'm just no, talking about from the women's college game up. I just think we need an elite platform yeah. and we don't, we haven't had that for a while. Yeah. Why do you think that women's beach volleyball is such a great platform for women? Um, it's a beautiful sport to watch. Mm. Um, you know, just the size of the court, the dynamic athleticism, um, and just, it's phenomenal to watch. I feel like the men are a little bit big on that tiny court. Um, the net's too low. (laughs) Um, it's still fun to watch, but I just think there's something 
perfect about women's beach volleyball. And, yeah. and it, it shows really well and it catches a lot of people's eye, but more people need to see it. Mm-hmm. And, and people complain that uh, the collegiate uh, NCAA championships for beach volleyball don't get high enough ratings. Well, people need to see it more often so they're yeah. familiar with it. Most people don't even know the format. Before I got involved, I didn't really understand the format. Mm-hmm. Now that I've been to Gulf Shores the last six or seven years, it is insane. It's awesome. It's the best I tournament of the year. I'm yeah. not kidding you. I get goosebumps. I'm calling the action and I have goosebumps. Mm-hmm. It's insane. The board, the duels, it, it's incredible. And I wish more people were familiar with it and were exposed to it because I think it would explode even more. Yeah. I love watching. One of my favorite moments of Golf Shores is when a court finishes. And oh, poof, everyone runs across incredible. the sand to go watch court three or whoever incredible. it is. And it usually comes down to the third set of the who yeah. knows Pair five, battling mm-hmm. it out. It's insane. It's so much fun. And I just wish more people got to experience that, see that, and I think the sport could explode. Yeah. But it's going to take an investment. Yeah. And it's, well, I mean, numbers-wise, it is exploding. You see all these colleges. It was the fastest-growing sport in NCAA history, and all these colleges are like, all right, we need a women's program, women's program. Yeah. It's no, so it's, cool. It's growing. But again, we need the platform right. so people see it. Um, I don't know. I feel like it was about 10 years ago, somebody at ESPN decided to invest a bunch in women's collegiate softball. It exploded. Their numbers are incredible. Really? Yes. And the money, the budget that they spend on those shows, huge. Mm -hmm. And because they were invested in. Yeah. um, And it's paid off. But now we need to do that. Yeah. We need that kind of support. We're seeing, I'm seeing something similar with uh, women's college basketball. Yeah. Where I think the Yukon, South Carolina beat Yukon two nights ago, I think, yeah. and it got 4.3 million viewers on ESPN. Phenomenal. That's a big number. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> For any sport. Yeah. Women or men. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, I was in Nebraska for the NCAA indoor women's volleyball title, and there were over 18,000 people watching in the stadium. Yeah. Incredible. High level. Uh, I mean, the athletes are bright and incredibly athletic. It's, yeah. it's really fun to watch. Yeah, the Big Ten uh, indoor is a monster. Just oh. looking at Nebraska and Wisconsin. Oh, I mean, incredible. Them alone. I mean, they just yeah. they carry that conference. Yeah. Anytime that they play Ohio State, obviously, it's probably in there as well. And Penn State's making a comeback. I mean, to, if you're in that conference, you have to invest to even mm-hmm. keep up. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's and fun Big to Ten see. Network's done a really good job with it. Yeah, they, they do a great job. Do you broadcast? For Big Ten, I do, I do not, but okay. I ha- I do Big Ten games on ESPN. Got it. So okay, yeah. Broadcasting I, is probably pretty fun. It is fun. You know, I I fell into it mm-hmm. in I'm trying to think what year that was. Uh, Two thousand five. I got offered. It was like Pac Ten game of the week back then. Okay. Um, and I think I did it with Paul. No, I did it with Chris McGee. You know, Peter. Peter. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we started it together and then he went on to do some other stuff. Yeah. And then I was doing it with Paul Sunderland and Karch Karai. Um, and, you know, I would do, I don't know, eight to 10 games a year. And yeah. then ESPN would pick me up for three or four. And, um, but up until last year, I, have, I haven't done that many games in a year. I did 32 okay. between beach and indoor for ESPN, which was okay. really fun. Yeah. Um, and then obviously I do some for Pac-12 as well. So um, it's been really fun. I was really bad at the beginning. I think I've gotten better. <laughs> yeah. I enjoy it. I like telling the stories. I like promoting the athletes. Um, but, it, you know, 
again, the more we're on TV, the better for mm-hmm. everybody and yeah. just promoting the athletes in the sport. Yeah. Live TV is, is a different kind of stress. Yeah. Because I started broadcasting for Volleyball World on the beach side. And especially, you know, if you're doing a tournament in the Maldives yeah. and you're up at two in the morning yeah. and your brain isn't really functioning yeah. all that well and you got to find the word, yeah. sometimes it just doesn't come. Yeah. You're like, I want in. I need to find yeah. it. Or, I mean, I know at the beginning when I first started broadcasting, I had a, not a limited dialogue, but I needed to expand my words, right. right? You don't realize how many times you say great. Right. Paul Sunderland, he, he likes to say, if you say great one time, that's one too many. He does, <laughs> he does not like the word great. So, um, but, you know, people like that pushing you, trying to get you better. And yeah. sometimes you have to like write down different words. Okay, what are different words I can use for this, yeah. you know, to keep it interesting? Yeah. So that's a good yeah, note. Yeah, yeah. I'm taking notes on that. Okay, from good. Paul, good. Paul's, <laughs> from Paul's, Paul's a legend, and I learned a lot from him. I like listen. He does a great job. He does. Because we watched. It was funny. We did a little uh, backpacking trip to Yosemite. It was me, Delaney, my brother, uh, Mesco, and Miles Partain. Oh. And so me and Miles were watching the women's finals uh, from Yosemite because we got a little cabin. Yeah. And um, Paul was doing the finals. And yeah. Like, this is, it's, it really enhances the viewing experience when you have a, a pretty good broadcast. Oh, like, of course. Well, yeah. Makes a big, it makes a big difference. Yeah. Yeah. So how do we, how do we build up the pro level again? Cause you've seen it at its height, you've seen it come down. Now we're kind of floating. By the, the way, the I, so I started playing beach volleyball a long time ago before 1990, before I was in college. So I've seen it go like this. Yeah. And, um, I think after 2008 was, <laughs> Uh, <laughs> was a big problem. Yeah. It hasn't been the same since. Yeah. There was a company called Shamrock that was trying to invest in the AVP. I'm sure you've heard about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it was a huge opportunity. We were guaranteed as athletes 4 million, 5 million, and 6 million. So guaranteed for three years in prize money. And that would have been 2008, 9, 10 or... Somewhere 2009, th- 2010, 2011. Okay. And um, the, the players <laughs> didn't want to sign that agreement. I, uh, I'll, never, I'll never understand why. A lot of people come up and apologize that they weren't more informed about that. But I don't think since then there's even been a, a million in prize money. We have a second commercial break. This is to give all of you listeners a heads up that Miami will soon to be host both to the King of the Court and the AVP on back-to-back weekends. Miami Beach Live is back for 2023 with a month full of fun, sun, fitness, and sweat. Whether you enjoy watching sports or playing them, we have something for you. The city of Miami Beach is proud to partner with various organizations to provide diverse health and wellness fitness and entertainment events that the whole family can enjoy. Whether you're here for a weekend or a lifetime or the AVP or the King of the Court, there's something for you in Miami Beach. Maybe, maybe a million, but I mean, four million. Yeah. That would have been a pretty good, darn, darn good platform. And we had Shamrock behind us who could invest and help build that platform. Which was an arm of Disney. Which yes, correct. puts you in correct. <laughs> correct. On a pretty good platform. These are all the things. And and because that deal fell through, AVP lost a ton of momentum. And because that deal fell through, AVP had to pay a million dollars because the deal didn't go through. 
Oh, really? So not only did they not get that, they had to, uh, it was, they were penalized. It was, it was probably one of the most heartbreaking moments in the sport for me. Yeah. Because we, it was just like handed this incredible opportunity and the players just could not see past <laughs> themselves. And it was disappointing. What, um, looking at it from their side, I mean, what would have their Well, I was a player too, but yeah. Yeah. What would the reasoning have been? They thought they they were more valuable than that. Okay. Yeah. Man, more valuable than four, five, and six. Yeah. Oof. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you can ask somebody else about it. I'd love to hear what their thought process was, but it's it's disappointing. Yeah. It, it's uh, the sport's never recovered, and it, it's sad. We've been limping along for a while, and um, it breaks my heart to be honest with you. A lot was invested, a lot of time. Blood, sweat, and tears um, by a lot of people to build up the sport to that point where we could really <clears> explode. And um, so it's hard because it's like an opportunity missed, a yeah. big one. And you have such a unique perspective on that because yeah. you were married to Leonard. At, at the, when did you and Leonard get married? Uh, we've been together since 94. Okay. So we got married in 2001. Okay. So yeah. you were married to Leonard. Like you got to see him yeah. build it. All yeah. the way up to yeah. what was... People forget. Everyone always talks about the 90s being the glory days. And yeah. I think culturally it was. But yeah. Leonard's era, that prize money well, was big. By the way, Leonard's, Leonard did the did part. The, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so in 1984, he joined with Kevin Cleary, who had started the AVP, to help launch the AVP tour. Yeah. That became 84 through, you know, whatever, 90s when they were exploding. Yeah. And they made so much money. So... Leonard started that, yeah. went out, went away to do his sports agency stuff, and then came back in 2000 to save it. Yeah. There's so, a common denominator between the two most successful eras. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> but I, I would never let him get involved in the sport again. It's just, really? oh, people don't get it. People don't get it. Uh, and, you know, it, it's disappointing. But yeah. Hopefully the whoever's on board next can figure it out and, yeah. and try and get the. It's you know, it, it, like I said, it just it was such a great opportunity for the sport sport to explode in a good way. Mm-hmm. So, what was that like for you to be? Because I mean, you were married to Leonard, who yeah. was building it, yeah, structurally and yeah. as a sport. But then you were also playing. Yeah, it was hard because yeah. I wasn't really able to say anything with right. Uh, you know, obviously I would say my opinion, but people thought it was biased or right. whatever. Um, but at the same time, I had been through the sport where, you know, it had gone like this and tours had folded. I had been through a lot. Um, so I was also a top player aside from being his wife who had a lot of experience in the sport Mm -hmm. and seen it fail. And, and so I was excited about the opportunity and, and I hoped the other athletes would figure that out as well. Yeah. There were a lot of smart people telling them to do it as well. Yeah. Yeah. What was, um... What was the 97 World Champs like? Because that was one that Leonard... Yeah. Could, that's considered the first true World yeah. Championship. Yeah. It was cool. Yeah. Yeah. At the UCLA Tennis Center. Yeah. Um, it was the first of its kind that I can remember. Um, I was... Uh, I'm mad because I got second. But <laughs> other than that, it was it was a fun event. Yeah. It was a fun event. And the world coming together at UCLA, I think um, it started a good tradition in the sport. Yeah, and it uh, it's cool because people would think a beach volleyball world championship in Los Angeles, we're going to play in Manhattan or yeah. Hermosa, yeah. and then he put it in an arena, yeah. which is cool. We don't see that very often. We don't see it done successfully yeah. anyway very often, but it seems like that went pretty well. It did, and, and I think, you know, the 
infrastructure to put up a tournament at the beach is very expensive. And he wanted all the amenities plus the cool uh, fan experience Mm -hmm. to be in that situation where you're on top of the court in a tennis stadium and you can see the action close up. So it was was a cool, um, I think, a cool growth moment for the sport. Yeah. And you played, would you have played that one with Nancy? Lisa Arce. Okay. Yeah. And you guys, you played together at Cal, right? We did. Okay. We did. Yeah. And at Maricosta. Really? Yeah, we go way wow, back, way and back. we play every Thursday still. <laughs> she's so, in that yeah. group too. Yeah, she's in that oh group my too. Gosh. Yeah. Who yeah. else is in this group? Um, Nancy Mason, who's now Nancy Reynolds, who's the beach volleyball coach at Maricosta. Okay. Um, it used to be Leanne McSorley, but she moved to Arizona. Uh, Misty May, um, and then we usually have a combination of young players and Rachel Scott, Sean Scott's okay. wife, who is a great pro on the beach as well. Yeah. We used to have Jenny Crop, sometimes Whitney Pavlik, April Ross has come. We, oh, we get a lot of good players, and Gina Urango used to play a lot. <laughs> yeah. Carly Scott. So we have a lot of fun players who pop in from time to time, but the mainstays, Misty's one of them, Nancy, yeah. Lisa, um, Rachel. What an epic crew. Yeah. Nicole Brianna plays with us too. She's a lot of fun. Holy cow. Yeah. yeah. We, have, we have a good time <laughs> awesome. and it's competitive. I bet. Yeah. Really competitive. And I bet everyone's still pretty dang good too. They are. We feel like we are. I feel like it's a pretty high level. I think yeah. the young girls who come in who don't know what to expect of the old ladies playing, they're a little bit impressed. Yeah. I hope. <laughs> At least I think so. <laughs> It was really funny. We had uh, Taylor Crab and Sander in last night. Yeah. And Taylor Crab just played a little fours match at 21st. Uh, and it was against Troy Field and Eric Baranek and then Hob and Dodd. Ooh, and I like it. Taylor was like, there's nothing as humbling as just getting scared. Scooped by a seventy-year-old man yeah. who then lets you know about it immediately because yes. you know how his oh the trash talking <laughs> top level and Mike Dodd is an unbelievable player. Yes, he used to play fours in that group with us too. When Amazing. Year. yeah, I mean it's he's he's a legend. Yeah, that's Jacob. He mentioned that when him and Rosie had Dodd as a coach. Yeah. And he said that every now and then, you know, Dodd would step in and just dig balls oh, or whatever. He goes, it was, every touch was still perfect. Yeah, and he's always in the right spot. Yeah. yeah. I played, when I was like 14 or 15 years old, I played some mixed doubles with Mike Dodd. And mm-hmm. he was the easiest player to play with. He was just so good. All yeah. I had to do was, you know, set him up at the net and it was over. Yeah, I've heard that. Like, I think Mike Dodd's one of the coolest people yeah. I've ever met. He's just, he never seems bothered. And no. even when he watches old film, he's just so steady and calm there yeah he's just he just ends up in the right spot yeah all the time smooth yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. we've mentioned misty a lot what was it like one playing with a young misty yeah and then watching her and carrie's rise into just this dynastic force yeah well it was funny when i played with misty she was straight out of college but i feel like her parents had done a lot for her mm-hmm. growing up so it was a little bit like playing with my 13-year-old younger sister. Okay. I had to do a lot of babysitting. Yeah. She knows this. Yeah. She laughs about it to this day. Um, I had to have eyes on her on the road. I mean, it was like, okay, Misty, we are here. We have an Olympic goal here. This is serious. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, she would forget her passport, all sorts of like, you know, young, immature stuff. But on the court, I could rely on her no matter what. She was game on. Um, I think she learned a lot and grew a lot. Um, and then watching her and Carrie, I mean, I knew how special Misty was. And then Carrie's, you know, I always, you know, refer to her as a freak of nature to be that long and tall, great ball control, great competitor, quick feet. 
Um, she was special. Yeah. And them together, I mean, wow. Yeah. Tough I think, to stop. I think Carrie is actually that convergence. We, we mentioned that sometimes being too talented can be a curse because you, you don't have that hard work. Yeah. Carrie's sort of the convergence of having the talent and she and the works. work. Holy cow. She is so competitive. Yeah. Wow. Crazy competitive. Like if, if Misty, she wants to win, but I don't know if she'll run over you to win. Like <laughs> Carrie Walsh will dr- drive over you yeah. to win. She she wants it that bad. Yeah, yeah, and that's how you win three gold medals yeah. in a row. Yeah, and and then just the chemistry together. Misty never got stressed. Carrie was high stress, and together they just it was magic on the court. Yeah, it's funny. Partnerships are so much like marriage, where you just need need the opposite yeah. of you. If you're yeah. a defender, you need a blocker. If you're you know if you're left side, you need a right side. Yeah. If you need a high. If you're high stress, you need someone to calm you down. Yeah. Well, chemistry, especially in women's beach volleyball, I feel yeah. yes, it is in men's, but men aren't is emotional and sensitive yeah. as women. So we, you need to be on the same page with somebody to work together and succeed, um, even if you're completely different. And I think that's really important. So chemistry is huge. I mean, there's some players who I should have been great with on the court. Mm-hmm. Didn't work. Yeah. That's so, a short list of yeah. people that didn't work. Yeah, it, it <laughs> is. But there are some. Uh, and I respect their game. It just, like, it never felt right on the court. And I felt like at one point in my career, I could step on the court with anybody and win. Yeah. Um, and that was a really fun period of time. Um, but, yeah, there's just, just a few. So chemistry, definitely an important part of that partnership. Yeah. How do you coach mental toughness? How do people develop that? Because what I, we mentioned that you know Delaney Maple's podcast went up today. She's one of the most mentally sound competitors that I've seen on the women's side, and she's twenty. Yeah, she knows. She knew right away you can never show someone emotion because they're going to take that and use it. Yeah, and she uses that. But a lot of times, that's a skill that's developed a little later. Yeah, life, but she she was competing indoors and beach early on, so yeah. she I'm sure she was challenged, learned some lessons, and and then. You talk about chemistry. Her and and Meg Kraft yeah. were amazing together. Yeah. Um, magic on the court, right? That co- combination and and they balanced each other out too. Um, you know, how do you teach it? You let people fail. I mean, you don't want to have them fail. You don't, but you. I mean, you let that happen. Hey, what did we learn from that? Yeah. You know, and it's powerful. It's hard. Mm-hmm. It sucks, but it's important. Everybody yeah. needs to learn that. And I coached the Norse twins when they were juniors coming okay. through high school. So we had a lot of success, but mm-hmm. we had some heartbreak too, where we underperformed and we would sit down and talk about it. And I'd say, well, how about this? How about this? But they've also had to figure it out on their own. And I feel like at UC- USC, they've evolved yeah. and they've figured it out. You know, I can say everything in the right way, but it has to sink in. And sometimes hearing it from somebody else or learning it or having a, that light bulb moment, you know, it can be a combination of different ways that you get that. Yeah. And especially not hearing it from a parent. I feel like that's the, the, oh, the power no. that you have as a coach. Oh yeah. You can't, mom or dad yeah. can't really tell you about it, but when, yeah. you, when you have a coach, you can yeah. tell you something. And that's important. We hear that all the time from parents. I can't tell them anything. They, they trust you. They appreciate you. Can you share that with them? I'm like, absolutely. You know, it's funny because as a high school coach or collegiate coach, there's three ways to train as an athlete, right? You train your body in the gym, right? To be strong and explosive mm-hmm. and stay healthy. You train your skill at the beach with a coach. Um, what do you do to train your mind? 
overlooked, right? Not a lot of people focusing on that. And when it comes down to it, that's the most important part of the game. That's what separates the top from the rest. Yeah. Um, And we don't focus on it. I didn't get any psychological uh, competitive training or, or help until I was in college at UCLA. We met with a sports psychologist and it was fascinating. Yeah. Um, and from then on, I became more aware. I read, you know, you being exposed to those tools and those things are so important. The stress of trying to compete and qualify for an Olympic game. Oh my gosh. is crazy. And I, I just met with a a player who's in the mix, a female player in the mix, trying to qualify for the next Olympics. And I just said, look, the pressure, I'm like, the way people deal with it, it's going to be the game changer, right? Like mm-hmm. whether you can shift past everybody if you can handle that pressure. Yeah. Traveling the world, there's injuries, sickness, all sorts of things that happen. You know, bad draws. All you know, you got to deal with it. Yeah. And and if you can, if you have the tools to handle it, it's very helpful. Yeah. What are some um, some of the more helpful tools that you found? <sighs> books or podcasts? Yeah, whatever. I love Michael Gervais. He's oh, he's, he's one best. of my favorites. I could just. Listen to him talk all day. Yeah. I really can. He's incredible. Um, there's an Instagram um, account that I love. It's called Be Champion Minded. Okay. And I'm blanking on the name of the author. He wrote a book. But every time he posts something, I'm like, oh, I love that. <laughs> yeah. I love that. Because, you know, uh, just having those tools and being reminded of, uh, I mean, one of the biggest things is it's not about the destination. It's about the journey, mm-hmm. right? Every, uh, everyone's so like, I need to get on that podium. Yeah. But in the, like, I got on that podium and I loved it, but the journey was powerful. I learned so much more from that journey mm-hmm. than I did anything else. Um, you know, setting goals, um, getting knocked down and getting back up. Next play mentality. So many people are perfectionist and they're like, oh, that set wasn't perfect. And, you know, and then they dwell on it and then affects their next play. Right. Um, <clears throat> you know, uh, I, <laughs> a bunch of the junior tournaments have been playing in crazy wind. And a lot of them are like, oh, this is, this is lousy. I'm like, look, it's lousy for everyone. Yeah. Why don't you embrace it and figure it out? And, mm-hmm. and I'll, I'll tell you, it's going to help your outcome. You know, learn it. If you have to bump it over on one, you bump it over on one. If you have to underhand serve, you underhand yeah. serve. Figure it out, embrace it instead of, you know, fight it in your mind. Um, and then routines. Routines are important. Like mm-hmm. the night before a tournament, make sure you get your sleep and, you know, make sure you have the stuff you need. Um, even like the one part of the game that you can control by yourself is your serve, yeah. right? Nobody else is impacting your mm-hmm. serve. Have a routine, have the confidence and the repetition behind it to be able to perform that serve under pressure when everything's on the line because you've had that same routine, Yeah. right? There's just so many different tools like that. Um, I know as a partner, uh, my big thing was I want to make my partner better. And when I made my partner better, I was better. Right. And so it wasn't all about focusing on me and... um, so I, I just learned a lot of that along the way. I, I could go on and on about those yeah. kind of things, um, but I love it. And Mind Growth Lab is actually working with our kids at Elite Beach Volleyball Club. Awesome. Um, we go once a month with the kids, the, the athletes, and yeah. once a month with the parents. Like, here, oh. parents, these are ways to empower your child. Yes. Let them advocate for themselves. I love to watch you play and then stay out. It's mm-hmm. so hard for parents. Yeah. We have a lot of parents who are very successful in life who want to push their child. Um, you know, 
Sometimes that's good. Sometimes it's bad. But, you know, finding those tools to make it work. Yeah, I love that. One of the uh, things that I've been reading up on a lot recently is having systems over instead of goals. Because uh-huh. goals, I mean, you mentioned you stood on a podium. It's over yeah. and yeah. felt like 30 seconds. Yeah. And so when you have that, that sets you up for just this post-accomplishment drop of what do I do now? Yeah. That's why we see a lot of gold medalists get depression in kind of abnormally high percentages. Whereas if you have a system... Like, all right, well, let's just have a system where if I practiced four days a week on the beach and I lived three days a week and I get X amount of sleep, yeah. then one, you're getting a, a little win every day that you adhere to your system. Mm-hmm. And eventually the results will just be inevitable. Yeah. Unless you're not getting the results and you tweak your system. Yeah. And, and I like that a lot better because then you you achieve your goal every day. Yeah. You're getting these mini wins and that compounds into what eventually will be. Small victories, yeah. small victories. It's getting up and making your bed. Mm-hmm. You have achieved something. You know that famous speech. Yeah, I, I love that, and it's true. I'm like every day. I tell my son that, and I, I go. It's important. It's, it's funny. There's a girl who coaches for us who I sent that speech to about because yeah. she's like, I never make my bed. I'm like, listen to the speech. <laughs> yeah. No, because you're right. Systems, and and I feel like having a systematic way to approach anything mm-hmm. can help make you successful. I'm not a volleyball player anymore. Well, I still am, but you know, <laughs> I, 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 there's different parts of right. how I approach broadcasting. Mm-hmm. I sat through every practice, every interview, the gym before the NCAA championships, because I wanted to know everything. I didn't want to miss a thing. Yeah. I want to be the best prepared out there. You know, as John Wooden says, you know, you want to prepare to win yeah. and you, it's really important to me, but that's my system, right? My system for success, outworking people. Um, and then, you know, doing, being mindful obviously is another thing that, um, I think people forget about like, yeah, you're out there passing a hundred balls, but are you being mindful of Mm -hmm. your technique and the way you're doing it? Yeah. It's not just passing a hundred balls. Right. Are you working to get better with your technique? Mm-hmm. Are you saying, hey, I have to put this ball on, on a dime. Can I do that with my platform? Um, so being mindful in your preparation is huge as well. Yeah. That's why one of my favorite sayings is you don't rise to the level of your expectations. You fall to the level of your training. Yeah. And you mentioned with broadcasting, you try yeah. to be as prepared as possible. Yeah. Because when you come in, even if you're going to draw a blank every now and then, the worst that's going to happen is still pretty high level because you're that prepared. Yeah. And that's important. Mm -hmm. Um, I had, I've seen people who show up with, like I have tons of notes and I've done conference calls and they, they have a printed out roster and they show up and try and call a game like that. I'm like, you can't do that. You can't have a thorough uh, grasp of what's happening, what the coaches are working on, what that athlete's been working on, what's her background. Mm-hmm. You know, you just can't have that if you don't do the work. Yeah, that's what I've been. Uh, I've been commentating the Italian league, and indoor, indoor. Okay, and so I have my first. I hadn't done a women's match yet, and then so I just found out yesterday that I'm doing a women's match okay. this upcoming Sunday. Okay. So now every night, me and Delaney are watching one match of the one team and one match of the other team. Yeah. And starting to figure out, because I try to watch their previous three matches yeah. to get a good feel for who's playing well, who yeah. got hurt or whatever, you know, how each team is trending. And it's so helpful. Yeah. Oh, Because then you can draw back on that when definitely. you're talking about it. Like, oh, I saw that play, you know, two weeks ago against yeah. Modena or whoever it may yeah, be. Yeah. Or you can say, hey, Sheila was dominant two weeks ago, but now she's really having a flat match or whatever. Yeah. You can refer and you have that. It, it's important. It's important to... Uh, know that and the backstories, and um, you're calling on, off a screen, which is not easy. No, it's not easy. We've had. <laughs> do you ever have ch- technical challenges? Uh, I mean, more <laughs> often than anybody would know. Yeah, no, it, which is hard. It's I tough. had one game that I called remote this year. 
and it was a disaster. And I was like, oh my, I mean, I don't even know what to do at this point, Mm -hmm. you know, because the viewers don't necessarily know and they're just, I'm like, can't even say anything because my mic's dead. So um, yeah, that's challenging. And then identification (laughs) as well is hard. It's really tough, especially because we have, we use this uh, technology called Spock. And so they're streaming the match to us, but to make sure that it doesn't get laggy for us, they stream it in like 380. Mm. And so everyone's so blurry where you can't oh, really make out the numbers on the wow. jerseys. So you need to know yeah. whose arm swing that looks like oh, or who's, who's on the left side, like who's on the right. Wow. And sometimes it, it takes a minute. And then in the beach, it's easier because there's just two yeah. and they're pretty easy to identify. Yeah. Yeah. But a lot of times you can't tell if the ball's in or out. Yeah. <laughs> so well, the tough. fact that you're managing that, the, that... If you have a real broadcast with it, you know, where yeah. you can see everybody or you're even there, yeah. which is even better, it's going to be easy for you. Yeah. It was so good, funny because right? Rich, I'd commentated with Rich for the uh, World Tour Finals. And so Rich's mic uh, went kind of dead. His connection wasn't great. Are you the color even, or the play-by-play? So I was the uh, play-by-play for uh, this one. Okay, got They'll it. They'll rotate us a okay. lot. So this one I was play-by-play. Okay. Rich's color and they just take Rich off. And didn't let me know. Ooh. And so I was like waiting for Rich to respond mm-hmm. do, and to the color. <laughs> no response. The next play, I was waiting for Rich to oh pick gosh. it up. And so I just finished the match yeah, by myself. By and then Rich texted me. He's like, sorry, they just took me out. <laughs> so it would have been good to know. Yeah. How about a text or something? <laughs> yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. The challenges. Some funny stuff happens in broadcasting for sure. Yeah. But I think being an athlete where you just have to roll yeah. with it. You have to pivot. It's the best right? training in the world for I think. I think like sports are the best training for any industry you can get into because yeah. you just have to figure it out. Well, we talk about people <laughs> wanting to hire athletes, right? Mm-hmm. Because they have obviously trained at a high level, balanced school and you know school and sports, and 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 dealt with challenges, and yeah. you have to overcome a lot. So it's a great training ground for life. Yeah, it is. That's why I want my son. He doesn't like sports. Um, so we have him playing basketball because he needs to learn some of those lessons, how mm. to be a good teammate, yeah. how to know how to support your team, how to cheer, you know, all the stuff. Mm-hmm. These are lessons that need to be learned. Yeah. Whether you go on or not, that's okay. Couldn't agree more. Yeah. Taking parenting tips while we're here. Yeah. By oh, yeah. <laughs> I, by the way, I have a book for you to read. Yeah. As parents, Healthy Sleep Habits, Happy Child. Okay. Swear by it. I'll send it to Delaney too because awesome. that's important. Yeah. <laughs> you need to sleep and they need to sleep. Yeah. An overtired child is a disaster. You yeah. don't want What's that. funny is that everyone talks about, you know, an overtired child overtired child is a disaster, but adults aren't that much different. I know. Well, you have an overtired <laughs> child and an overtired adult, then it's, it's a bad forget combo. it. Yeah, it's really bad. <laughs> really bad. What's uh what's kind of a typical day in the life of Holly McPeak like? Gosh, well it depends on the day. Yeah. Um Wake up, take my son to school. I, I love, you know, I, I'm, I guess, a part-time working mom but because I have all these different jobs that I do, which is really fun. It keeps it interesting. Take my son to school. I usually go to the gym. I go to Orange Theory Fitness, which I mm-hmm. love. Um, and I do that twice a week. Um, and then... Pff, I do a combination of a lot of stuff, take care of my home, take care of my family, uh, prepare for the practice that afternoon. Um, I help write the practice plans for our club. Um, We usually do a conference call to make sure we're on top of everything that's going on business-wise. There's a lot. There's a lot that's going on. So um, that's kind of a typical day. Thursday's my favorite day of the week because I get to play beach volleyball. (laughs) 
Um, and then we play like 9.30 to 12 and we're exhausted. Yeah. So I have lunch and then I go coach at Elite um, and then come home and make dinner. So I cook like five to seven, sometimes seven nights a week. Um, I love cooking and, you know. Just being a, a working mom, which is fun. And yeah. and this is nice time of the year because I'm home. I'm not yeah. traveling. In the fall, I was traveling like crazy. A lot for indoor for broadcasting? Indoor. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I did awesome. a ton. So, What's the signature dish? Do you have a oh, thing you like to Because Delaney is, once she got pregnant, yeah. she stopped working. She's like, I just want to be, I just want to cook everything. Yeah. She's gotten super into cooking. I love it. Yeah. And well, it's nice to be able to cook for your family. Mm-hmm. Oh, there's so many things that, I, I mean... My my family likes chicken cutlets that are breaded okay. with rigatoni, and Got then it. I usually like you know roast vegetables. Yeah, um, we make really good fish tacos. Um, that's that's another favorite. Um, my son loves pizza, okay. but I don't make it at home. He likes the. The pizza place down the street. So that's a special night okay. when he gets his Manhattan Pizzeria pizza. <laughs> they know him by name. Actually, on his birthday, they let him come back and make his own pizza. So that was awesome. kind of fun. Yeah, that's fun. Yeah, well, I'm glad uh, glad we made this work. Yeah, um, thanks I love, for having me. I love, by the way, that you, uh, that you make dinner for the family, and yeah. that's a big priority. So It is. My family is my top priority. Yeah, for so I'm sure. I'm glad we make the afternoon work. And yeah. I had a great time chatting with you, Holly. Thank you. Really fun. Yeah. I'll let you know when everything goes up, but where can uh, our listeners kind of follow you if or elite or you know, well whatever. i'd love if you followed elite beach volleyball there go. um uh, that's our website as well um and then at holly mcpeak on instagram that's kind of where i do most of my stuff i don't have a website anymore because i'm not an active player and it's just too much to yeah. keep up um but i feel like anybody can find you on instagram too yeah that's how i follow gabby born <laughs> she's my idol she mama. is my idol <laughs> she's amazing she really is a woman who can do everything and then the building stuff and the house stuff that that stuff just inspires me the diy oh i want to yeah. be just like her and what's so funny so she made this pilot this tv show yeah. where it was it was called the mac of all trades where this girl named mac is kind of this carpenter and she's defying all these stereotypes she sent it away and then i was like gab your life is better than fiction. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> and She's amazing. And everyone loves her stuff. Yeah, I, I'd love to see that show. Is it going to come out? You can. Uh, she's been putting up. You, she would love to send you the pilot. I'm oh, sure. I would yeah. love to see it. Yeah, I might know some people too to pass it on to. You I never bet. know. Yeah. Good connection there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because she worked really hard on it, and I mean, it was legit. I mean, she had. I only went out to film as an extra with Try One Day. We're just in the background of this lumber yard. Yeah, and there was like sixty people on set. Wow, it was cool. Yeah. I love it. She's not intimidated by a challenge, which no. is inspiring. Yeah. Because yeah. this, this house, what she's done with it is incredible. The other thing I'm big on is women empowering women. I think it's really important because yeah. a lot of times we're compared to one another. Right. There are competitors. But at the same time, if you're confident in your own life and what you do, uh, you can help elevate other women. Mm-hmm. And... Um, I just think it's really important. I, that's why I love mentoring young women. Yeah. Um, I talk to a lot of charities, a lot of different groups about that because I think it's really important. Yeah. Well, I think you're a great example of that. Thank you. Gab's a great example of that. She is. Glad to see She's that you're coaching and, and impacting that next generation. Thank you. Thanks Thank for having me. Thank you, Holly.